I don't know. I think I feel a little like Stephanie. My throat's giving me problems tonight as well. I don't know what it is. I think, uh, I don't know if it's some dry air or the change of, I don't know what it is. But all of a sudden I thought, my voice is giving me some real problems. And uh, um, so I'm up, up here drinking water. All right. I don't know if that's going to help. I'll probably, uh, I'll, I have to take a break or something. I don't know. Drinking so much water. I don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm just having a real problem here. So let's go ahead and do the best we can, and um, we'll see what the Lord does. He's always good like that. He often gives me the ability to get through things and do a good job. Uh, not good job speaking, of course. I just do the best I can with that. But at least he holds up and does a good job with the voice usually. So we'll see where it goes. But James chapter 3, uh, again, we have our trip coming up, the Philippines trip. Don't forget about that meeting tonight right after the service. <clears throat> Excuse me, we'll get that going, and that'll be good. And uh, we'll get right through that quickly. We won't waste a lot of time. And uh, it's, um, it's coming up quick. Boy, things do. They just come up quick. So James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6 tonight. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey, <clears throat> that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Verse 5, chapter 3. Did I even tell you where it is? I hear so many pages turning. I just want to make sure that I'm not, uh, uh, you know, having some kind of, um, <clears throat> yeah, I can't even think. But anyway, <clears throat> verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Well, we spent some time over the last weeks as we were getting into this particular study, when should we hold our tongues according to Scripture? And we spent some time in this passage, and we kind of looked at the tongue quite a bit, and we tried to understand it a little bit. We realized that, boy, little things direct larger things. <laughs> and um, although the tongue is very small, it has a major effect on things. We said that the tongue is small, but it's extremely dangerous. Its potential for good or evil is beyond belief. Uh, we are often amazed at how much or how often the tongue is used, both good and bad, how it can hurt so, de how it can be so devastating in so many cases. Probably some of the greatest wounds you've ever experienced in your life are the result of the tongue, someone's tongue, a family member, a friend, a, a spouse, a child, a parent, uh, maybe a, a co-worker or someone like that. It's amazing how the tongue can be so destructive, and yet it can also be a wonderful thing as well. <clears throat> we uh, learned a little bit about the tongue. We said that the tongue is very decadent that the potential for evil is off the charts. It's defiling. We said the fallout of an evil tongue is devastating, meaning that not only do we realize that, the say, the person involved or just that, that particular time and that moment in history, but many times people all around us, the residual effect of it, the fallout of the tongue, can be so damaging as well. We said that it is also, as we said, destructive and then devilish. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's set on fire of hell. And uh, it's a sad thing when we allow the devil to use our tongues uh, for his good. And his good is nothing but bad. 
And so we want to make sure that we're allowing the God of this, the world, to, we're telling the God of this world no and the, the God in heaven yes. And so we've got to be careful with that. And uh, so we've started asking some questions and uh, we, we, we asked the question, when should we hold our tongues according to scripture? And we said, first of all, when your tongue, uh, when you're tempted to flatter a wicked person, when you're tempted to flatter a wicked person. And number two, we said, if you're supposed to be working, if you're supposed to be working. And that's about as far as we got. And so I want to start uh, in a, a addressing another issue or two and see what we can get through tonight. I, I feel like I need to pray real bad right now. And once I do that, everything will be fine. It always is. And so let's go and have, and have a word of prayer. And I got a feeling that my mind, my thoughts, and everything will come together. Have you ever felt like everything was just disjointed? Like things just aren't coming together and connecting? Right now I feel exactly like that, okay? But it'll be perfectly fine once I pray. And we'll be able to move forward and things will come together. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I want to thank you for our salvation. I thank you for the privilege that I have, Lord, to stand before this faithful congregation and proclaim your blessed truths. I pray that you would just help me to think clearly, give me clarity of thought and mind, and enable me, Lord, to present these truths in a way that will be easy to understand and received well. May you bless every listening ear, and may we find ourselves quick to obey to apply the truths that you have shared with us from the Word of God. We need you tonight. <clears throat> we need you every day, every moment of every day. We thank you for being there for us. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. So right now, Father, I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. May I simply be your mouthpiece. Lord, may you go forth and do your perfect work in our lives. We desperately need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we see here that there's a number of times in our lives when we ought to just hold our tongues. And tonight I want to begin by saying a good time to hold your tongue is in the heat of anger. In the heat of anger. Again, we already said when you're tempted to flatter a wicked person or if you're supposed to be working, but now we want to go on and consider this idea or thought, you're to hold your tongue, I'm to hold my tongue. It's a good idea to do so in the heat of anger. Now, nobody in the room ever gets angry, so we're very, we're very fortunate about that, I'm sure. And uh, as a result of that, you probably don't have too many problems with your tongue. But if you have ever gotten angry or if you ever uh, find yourselves angry in the future, then let me tell you, you might want to just hold your tongue. Look over in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, please. Chapter 25, verse 28. Probably Proverbs 25, 28 is one of my favorite verses concerning this issue. Um, it, it, it's, it's really an amazing um, passage, actually. There's so much involved in it. But notice what it says here in Proverbs 25, 28. <clears throat> it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, we know that in especially Old Testament times, you know, there were cities and there were walled cities. We think of Jericho and how the children of Israel ultimately crossed over the Jordan and then they found themselves face to face with this, this, these massive walls and this fortified city. And they ultimately found themselves marching around the city 
not once, but twice, three, four, five, six, and then finally seven times in one day, and the walls came tumbling down, of course, and victory came to the Israelites. As long as those walls were in place, the city was protected. As long as the walls were in place, it was guarded from the enemy. However, the moment the walls came down, the city was vulnerable and open to harm. And the passage says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit, his emotions, his feelings, he that hath no rule over his emotions and his feelings and his spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What it's saying is that he's unprotected. That person is without any kind of protective force. There's no shield there to protect from the fiery darts of Satan that they're, they're vulnerable to the enemy's attack. They're weak. Boy, I'll tell you what, if this is true, and I believe it's true because it's in the Word of God, then many times in our lives we're much weaker than we think we are. When we fail to maintain control, when we find ourselves in a position where we have no rule over our own spirit, when our feelings are controlling us instead of us controlling our feelings, then we're really much weaker than we believe ourselves to be. And in the heat of anger, it is a time when we ought to just control our emotion at least enough to shut our mouths, to close our lips, to hold our tongues. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 14, 17 says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. Boy, I tell you, the, the temper, our tempers can really create problems in our lives. We'll say things, we'll do things that we never dreamed possible. Well, it, it, it becomes a real problem. Again, the, the tongue is a, a, it's set on fire of hell. There was once a little boy who had a very bad temper. And his father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper, he had to hammer a nail into the back of the fence. The first day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. 37. Little boys don't get mad. I know little girls don't. They just get even. <clears throat> Over the next few weeks, all you little brothers know, don't I? The brothers know. They all know. All the, isn't it amazing how siblings, boys and girls, can just go like cats and they just get at it sometimes? have all these stories about brothers and sisters and, and then they just get along so awfully well as they get older and they protect one another and they care for one another, right? Right? Okay, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's good. <clears throat> so 37 nails into the fence just that one day. And over the next few weeks, as he learned to control his anger, the number of nails he hammered into the fence daily uh, kind of subsided. It dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his temper than to drive those nails into the fence. Finally, one day, one day he, he realized, wow, I, I, I'm not nailing any nails anymore. It seems like I'm, 
I, I don't have to go over there any longer. I'm not losing my temper anymore. And he was excited about that. And he told his father about it. And he, his father suggested that the boy now pull out one nail for each day that he was able to hold his temper. The days passed, one after the other, never losing his temper. And he kept continually pulling out the nails until finally he was able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. The father, he took his son by the hand and he led him to the fence. He said, now, son, you've, you've done well, very well, but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, the wound is still there. A verbal wound is as bad as a physical one. Well, I'll tell you what, that little boy learned a lesson that day. And sadly enough, we don't learn ours enough. Sadly enough, we allow the devil to take control of our emotions and we take our tongue and we use it to slice and to dice and to hurt and to harm people. And especially when we're in a rage and when we're angry or upset about things. Boy, the one thing you don't want to do and the one thing I don't want to do is allow our tongue to run rampant in the heat of anger. Has anybody in the room ever known anyone that has said something in anger that they regretted? Can I see a raise of hands? Okay. Let me ask you this. Have you ever said anything while angry that you knew you shouldn't have said. Yeah, let's face it. Aren't we all just flesh? <laughs> We're so prone to make these mistakes. And biblically and scripturally, the Bible lets us know and warns us to be very careful with our tempers. And in the midst of the uh, heat of anger, we are to just simply, we'd be better off to hold our tongues. Hold our tongues. I... Um, you know, I, I, I had a, a grandma that was really good at using her tongue. And sometimes she was kind of proud of that. She was proud that I just speak my mind. And you know, I, I appreciated her and she was so forward and straight. You knew exactly where you stood. I love that about her. But I'm going to tell you something. Um, sometimes it's best not to speak our minds. Sometimes we would be better off not saying anything. Sometimes he that shutteth his lips is a man of understanding. And so we need to be very careful because the tongue can really hurt and harm people. Uh, number four. So in the heat of anger, when should we uh, hold our tongues? When you don't have all the facts. When you don't have all the facts. Take your Bible and look over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 13. Proverbs 18, 13. <clears throat> this is one of those studies where <clears throat> I could probably share a number of personal illustrations, which I will leave all of those out during the course of this 
particular study. Is this not our downfall, our tongues? Really, I mean, let's be honest. The majority of our problems are rooted in our tongues. And uh, if, if we could hold those tongues, we would probably all be so much better off. Proverbs 18, 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame unto him. How many times have you or I came to a conclusion before we really even had all the facts. One day, an old man was casually walking along a country lane with his dog and his mule. And suddenly, a speeding pickup truck kind of careened around the corner, knocking the man, his mule, and his dog into a ditch. The man, he decided to sue the driver of the truck, seeking to recoup the cost of the damages. While the old man was on the stand, the counsel for the defense cross-examined the man by asking a simple question. He simply said, I want you to answer yes or no to the following question. Did you or did you not say at the time of the accident that you were perfectly fine? The man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road and, and the counsel for defense just said, stop. Just stop. I asked, I asked you a simple question. Tell me yes or no. Did you say you were perfectly fine at the time of the accident? Well, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road when the defense attorney just appealed to the judge. He was just flabbergasted. Your Honor, the man is not answering the question. Would you please insist that he answer the question? The judge said, well... He obviously wants to tell us something. Can you just, let's just let him speak. So the man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road and this truck came around the corner far too fast, knocked us into the ditch. The driver stopped, got out of his truck, saw my dog was badly injured, went back to his truck, got his rifle and he shot it. Then he saw my mule had a broken leg, so he shot it. Then he said, how are you? And I said, I'm perfectly fine. (laughs) Boy, do we got to make sure that we verify a story before we assume that we have all the facts. (laughs) I mean, we got to get it nailed down. You know, we're so quick to jump to conclusions, are we not? I mean, the news media or the, uh, the news outlets are, uh, affect our outlook and we think we know what's really going on when maybe we don't and we have these ideas and we come with these strong opinions when we really don't have any basis for it. We think we know what someone is really thinking when we haven't even discussed it with them. We assume we know how they feel and boy, there's so many times that we make judgments before we even have all the facts. Marital issues, my oh my. Who's at fault? Boy, you listen to one and you go, man, that guy is a dirty scoundrel. Then you listen to him and you go, man, she is a big loser. I mean, it just doesn't matter. I mean, one way or the other. And and we find ourselves being swayed and turned and twisted based on the last information we heard when in reality there's a whole uh, gamut of information that we have to kind of corral and bring together and weigh it all out. 
Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Now, why in the world in the Old Testament would the Lord go to lengths to share those, those truths? I'll tell you why. Because even then, there, there was this, the temptation to latch on to one side of the story. Someone says, well, I, 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 I saw this, or I saw that, and I heard this, and he said that, and she said that, and man, all of a sudden, we base it on what one person may say when there may be a totally, other, a, a, a totally different perspective out there. So we have to be so awfully careful when it comes to saying things and, and making judgments. Well, we need to hold our tongue when it comes to having an opinion when we aren't sure that we have all the facts yet. You got to be careful. I mean, you hear something about someone in the church, and if you're not careful, you've made a judgment based on what you heard someone say, or someone said they heard someone say, and you just assume, well, that must be true because they would have never said that. Well, you don't know all the facts, maybe. It's just like our poor gentleman here who said that he was perfectly fine. He indeed did say it, but he said it under duress. And the fact is, is that some things may go down in someone's life. You don't know all the facts. You see a headline that says, Preacher shot, shot a young man. And you go, what in the world's a preacher shooting someone for? Maybe the guy broke in his house and was trying to hurt his family. Before we jump to conclusions, we need to, and I know that's a horrible example maybe, but those are the kind of things that happen. We had jumped to conclusions. We assume we know all the facts. We do not know all the facts. It's true in so many cases. You know, why are we doing that? You don't know all the facts, maybe. You, you think you do, you don't. I'm telling you, till you know all the facts, till you ask all the questions, till you get to the bottom of it, you ought to just simply hold your tongue. We do that with our spouses, we do that with our children, even. Well, did you go there or didn't you? Yeah, I did go, but, but, but you went there? Well, let, let them finish. There might be something there that might, we might be glad they did that. Hold your tongue, maybe. Boy, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you? And, you know, you got to get all the facts. Doris Schwartz, she was a West York teacher early on in life. But she soon realized that teaching wasn't her cup of tea. So she became a flight attendant. And she primarily became a flight attendant because... She read a lot of books on her free in her free time. She was an avid reader, and she read about distant lands, and she thought to herself, boy, I would love to visit those places that I've read about all my life. So she went ahead and became a stewardess, and as a result of that, she started flying to all kinds of exotic places and around the world. Doris never really acted like she had any money. You look at her, her car was always parked out front. It was just a, simply a 95 Toyota. And when her friend would go grocery shopping for her later on in life, she would instruct her friend only to buy peanut butter and coffee and maybe a few other staple items when, and only if they were on sale. She lived 
her friend said, like a bag lady. She would eat peanut butter out of a jar with a spoon, lining up the empty jars in her bedroom, the spoon still in them. Don't confess that if you do that. (laughs) Nancy would buy her a gallon of ice cream. And that would be all she would eat for a couple of days. (laughs) It depends on how hearty that is. I I don't know. I've been kind of getting into Rocky Road lately, and it's it's been a real rocky road. But Dora, she worked the stock market, and she was a, a very frugal person with her money. Doris would, all, at one point in her life, she began to receive dividend checks in the mail, and, and she wouldn't even open them. And her friend would say to her, listen, uh, you got to cash those checks. you got to put the money in the bank. And she'd go to the bank and deposit maybe 30 or more checks at a time. After she died, they found accounts all over the world. She had investments in Europe and Japan and bank accounts in Singapore. She had a safe deposit box that contained gold foil imprinted with Vietnamese lettering. They found letters from a bank in Switzerland indicating that she had a safe deposit box there. That safe deposit box turned out to have, or should I say to be, full of gold bullion. Matter of fact, the contents were so valuable that when they brought it back to the States and delivered to her her bank in in West York, they used a Brinks armor truck to, to transport it. When she died at the age of 93 in 2013, she was worth over $4 million. I'll tell you what, you can't judge a book by its cover. You better make sure you got all the facts before you come to the conclusions. And so many times when it comes to our tongues, we jump to conclusions. We'll call someone out on the carpet before we even know all the facts. We'll be angry with someone before we've heard the whole story. We'll assume somebody's being dishonest or not being straightforward or being deceptive before we've allowed them to even share their personal situation. Boy, the facts. Be slow to judge. Give your wife, your children, your friends the benefit of the doubt until you know all the facts. So we talk about when to hold our tongues. And, of course, we've been going through a number of these already. We said when our temper when we're tempted to flatter a wicked person or if you're supposed to be working or in the heat of anger When you don't have all the facts. Number five, we ought to hold our tongues when we're tempted to joke about sin. When we're tempted to joke about sin. Because sin is no joke. Proverbs 14, 9. Turn there, would you please? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. The Bible says in 14.9, Proverbs, it says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. We live in a world where we mock sin, don't we? Boy, I mean, you know, we make a mock of it. 
It's a big joke. It's funny. It's cute. I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a struggle because we find ourselves, you know, I, I still remember years ago, and I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm kind of up in years a little bit, I guess. And uh, I remember years ago when that, first, that show came out called Bart Simpson. I never watched the show. I, I, I definitely uh, tried to learn a little bit about it through some things I read. But what I do know is that he was a pretty mouthy sucker. That's how my dad would say it. And that's what I heard growing up. Things like that. What I realized, he backtalked his parents. He was very disrespectful. And it was cute. And you know what? Sadly enough, it was viewed upon as being funny. Well, now it's in our homes. It's not as funny as it used to be when we was watching on TV. It's up to here in our homes. Back talk and disrespecting authority. I'm just saying, we need to be very, very careful what we laugh at. What we think is funny. And I know that necessarily uh, holding our tongue isn't necessarily laughing, but I kind of put it on the same lines. It's still a sin of the mouth. And I think we need to be very careful with that. The Bible says fools make a mock at sin. It's sad to think that Christians would think that sin is funny, that sin is cute. In in 1982, ABC Evening News reported on an unusual work of modern art. And I've shared this before, and I find it so interesting, I'm going to share it again, but this unusual work of modern art was simply a chair affixed to a shotgun. It was to be viewed by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the gun barrel. So the gun, barrel, the gun was here, and you sat in a chair and looked right down the barrel of a shotgun. Again, it, this was in 1982 on ABC Evening News. It was reported on. So it was legit. It actually was the case. It was to be viewed again by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the gun barrel. The gun was loaded and set on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next hundred years. The amazing thing was that people waited in lines to sit and stare into the shell's path. They just sat there. They they waited in line to get their opportunity to sit in that seat and defy death. They all knew that the gun could go off at any point, at any time. And sadly enough, it would be point-blank range, and that would be disaster. But they were more than happy to gamble with their fate. Gamble with fate. And to gamble that it would not go off while they were sitting there in their minute of the chair. It was pretty foolhardy. It was pretty stupid. Yet, a number of people who would never ever dream of sitting in that chair live a lifetime gambling that they'll never get away, that they'll somehow get away with sin. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we ignore the risk of inevitable self-destruction. Sin will destroy us. There is nothing that is funny about sin. Sin is no joke whatsoever. 
And yet if we're not careful, we find ourselves, in a sense, looking down the barrel of sin and making fun of it almost, laughing about it, as though it's just some kind of activity. It's no big deal. Sin may be fun to many, but it's not fun to God. You think about the price that the Lord Jesus Christ paid because of sin. You think about the price, the cost of sin. Think about how many, hells, uh, how many souls will be damned to hell for eternity because of sin. And yet we have the audacity and the, well, we're so ignorant to laugh at it, to joke of it. The world makes a mock of sin. They joke about drunkenness, indecency, immorality. But again, God's not laughing. Sin always destroys. It always wrecks. It always ruins. It always decays. It's just like evolution. What a joke evolution is. Why? The biggest joke of evolution is that we're getting better. We're evolving. Are you kidding me? Things are getting better. And I know we can talk ourselves into believing that. But just look at the state of mankind, the, cons- the, 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 the mentality of people. It's amazing. The very ones that will say, how could a God in heaven allow somebody that's so kind and so good to be hurt by somebody so wicked? Don't you realize that the wickedness is a direct result of our humanity and our humanity brings us down constantly? It is a downward spiral. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. More independent, more self-sufficient, more, uh, uh, more, more confident in our own abilities. We need God less than ever before, at least in our own minds. And I'm not saying, when I say we, I'm talking about the world in general. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. How important is it that we remember that sin brings a judgment? Sin is no joke. And, and it may be cute. You know, we watch some drunk stumbling around and falling all over and we laugh. Is it really funny? But because we've been so desensitized to sin, even the things that God hates are things that we can laugh about. And that's a dangerous place to be as believers, and yet it is the world we live in. Boy, how careful we must be to have the mind of Christ. You know how it is with your kids, especially when they're younger. They say or do something that you know is wrong. And they're so cute in it that you almost have to hide your face. Turn around because you're over here snickering, laughing, because it is cute. But it won't be when they're this tall. So you got to be careful that they don't see you laughing because... I was going to say, my wife, she gets me sometimes. She'll get the laughing at these kids when they do something wrong. And I'm like, mm, would you quit that? <laughs> I just, don't do that. And I'm like, little Adeline or something running around, and she'll do something crazy. And I'm like, man. And Sherry's like, <laughs> I'm just, what are you doing, man? Setting that kid up for destruction. And it is somewhat innocent at the time. And again, they're maybe even at times not even realizing what they're doing. But boy, we do have to be careful that we don't 
give the impression to our young people and to others that sin is something to be laughed at, joked about. We understand things like that can happen, but on a regular basis, we need to be very careful that we don't, do not, uh, that we're not tempted to joke about sin, to laugh about sin, or to joke about sinful things. The tongue. What a terrible thing it can be. I wonder, this just week alone, this past week, from the time we left Sunday night last week to tonight, have you said something to somebody that hurt them? I'm not talking about you said something that needed said. I'm not talking about a parent that confronted a child and said, this is a problem, I see a need, and it hurt them because they knew they disappointed you. They realized that you pointed out something wrong in their life that needed to be addressed. I'm not talking about those kind of things. Listen, sometimes you, have to, you do have to hurt sometimes in a sense. The truth can hurt. But how you said it could matter much more than what you said many times. But so many other times, let's be honest, that's not why we hurt people. Because It's not because we're trying to help them. It's usually because we want to hurt them. I wonder, have you said something to your husband or wife this week that you know dug, that was a dig? Maybe to your children, some of you teenagers or some of you young people or children said something to mom or dad in a way that you knew you were trying to say it just because you wanted to get at them. See, we don't, we're not practical enough with things. We need to really assess our life. We need to look at the specifics. We need to tell ourselves and ask ourselves, what does it look like to use our tongue wrongly? How does it, how does it look? How does it sound? And then let's not reproduce that anymore. Let's remember how it feels to hurt someone we love and care about. Let's remember how they respond when we do hurt them and how it impacts their, their attitude, their heart, their life. And so many times the reason why we use our tongue to hurt people is because we feel we've been hurt. It's really very selfish usually why we do that. Now I want you just to think about that for a minute. Maybe there's, you know, we don't confess our sin either like we ought to. I mean, that's a sin. When we use our tongue to hurt people on purpose, to, to say things, knowing that it's going to hurt, and then we just act like, well, that's just normal. That's what humans do. That, that's no big deal. My wife knows that's how I am. My husband understands that's how I do things. My children have been around me enough to know this is how it is. Well, mom and dads are just mom and dads, and, and too bad. I mean, that's the way it is. You know, oh, wait a second. Hey, that's sin in the Christian life. You know what? Maybe the altars ought to be filled. Because remember James, he's writing. And who's he remembering when he says the man or the woman that can control this is a perfect person? See, he's James is, is Jesus' brother and he's remembering Christ. And he's going, wow, I remember what it was like to grow up with somebody that didn't use his tongue to hurt or to harm. I remember what it was like to never hear him back talk mom and dad. I remember Jesus and it was amazing. If you would never hurt anybody with your tongue, with your mouth, you'd be just like Jesus. I got to believe that none of us are like Jesus really that much. And I wonder, have you confessed the wrong use of your tongue to him. And here's the real one. Here's the kicker. It's not enough to just confess it to him. 
You know why relationships are so strained and stressed many times? You may think you're right with God because you confessed a sin to him, but if you committed it and hurt and harmed somebody you love and care about or somebody that you've been in contact with, my friend, you are not right with God till you are right with man. You need to go confess that as sin to them too. I believe there'd be a revival in our churches just if we would get confessing the sins of our tongue to our spouses, our families, our friends, and others. I'm not saying you can't tell the truth, and I'm not saying sometimes what the truth doesn't hurt, and you sometimes have to take a stand and say, we're not budging, this was wrong, and you got to admit this was wrong. Hey, you got to do that sometimes. But I'm saying to just harm somebody, to call them names, or to say something that you know is going to get, a, going to get their goat, so to speak. I just want to encourage you to think and ask the Lord to reveal to you areas, maybe even this week, sometime that you said something used your tongue in a way that it hurt or harmed someone. And then confess that to God and then make it right with that person. Make it right with them. You'll be amazed how it'll affect your relationships with people. That's what being a Christian is really about. Is living the life. Not just knowing what to do, but doing it. And that's where most of us are much weaker than we'd like to believe. We need to work at that. Much, very much so. Well, Father, we thank you for this time we have together and just for the privilege we've had to spend a little time.